Hello, my name is Trisha Jackson. I am a dental consultant for new dental practice owners and I am the creator of Run DDS. Run DDS is a dental practice consultancy that is dedicated to helping dental practices run. It is my belief that if new dental practice owners had a set of systems in place on day one, they would be able to run their practices successfully. You are now listening to season two of Run Your Practice. Hi guys, thanks for listening. Welcome to season two of Run Your Practice, a podcast that is dedicated to helping new dental practice owners, specifically new dental practice owners who are going through a practice transition. I'm going to start today uh, by talking about employees. Um, I speak a lot about inheriting staff members and how as the new owner of the practice, you have to constantly consider the perspective of the employee. How are they perceiving the change? How can I reassure them that I don't have ulterior motives, that I'm not going to terminate their employment? How can I retain them because I need them? Inheriting employees, retaining the same employees as the previous owner and it certainly makes that transition easier for patients and it takes away that stress of trying to hire a new team of people right at the beginning of a transition. The benefits of inheriting and retaining, they significantly outweigh just firing everybody and rehiring. But I talk about that a lot. I talk about inheriting employees and retaining them a lot. But today, I actually want to step away from that conversation And I want to focus on the alternative, which is firing and hiring. Additionally, uh, if you are an employee who is listening to this podcast, this is a topic that may interest you. My next episode, uh, season two, episode two, I'm going to dive into addressing employees and how when you're going through a practice transition, this is actually a great time for an employee to step up and to shine and to grow in their career and in their profession. And uh, so stay tuned for episode two on that. Uh, but today is going to be more geared towards the owner, uh, the office manager, and when you have to let go of an employee and terminate employment, how do, how do we go about doing that? And also, how do we find the next right fit for our practice? Closing the chapter on a relationship between you and an employee, whether they have worked for you for two days or two months or two years, it's never easy. It's never pleasant or comfortable. There are just so many elements to consider, and it's so easy to feel very overwhelmed by it. Um, Common things that may be racing through your mind are, the future unemployment issues that you may have to deal with, or um, you know, with the CARES Act, the employee retention credit. Uh, there's you know just the human element, right? There's the element of terminating a, another human being's employment and how that might affect their family. So there's a lot of things that you may be considering, and I advise all of my clients, especially during that first year of employment, to seek out help 
with HR. Um, many accounting firms or payroll companies, they'll even offer a form of HR um, if you kind of bundle that into the services that they're providing you. Um, but there's so many issues that can arise that can be complicated and you don't want to make them more complicated, especially if you have maybe moved into a new state where you're not as familiar with their employment and termination requirements. So having someone that you can rely on to help you with that HR assistance will be key um, in that first year of ownership while you're learning the ropes. And then basic systems and protocols and setting clear expectations and having those in place from day one is probably my most significant piece of advice. Um, establishing a routine, uh, for example, employee reviews, starting those off from the beginning, setting employee goals and identifying very specific areas where they can improve and having clearly defined disciplinary steps in the event that they go off course. These aren't just formalities to have in place. They're actually protections. For example, employee reviews. So employees reviews are something that with my clients, I recommend that they start every 30 days during a practice transition. You should be meeting one-on-one -on -one with your employees. And you have an idea of what you are impressed by after 30 days. After 30 days of working with someone, you know little things or, or maybe even major things that need to be changed to be more efficient, more profitable, uh, to better serve your patients. So you want to be checking in with your employees every 30 days. And what this does is it brings a bit of accountability and it asks the employee to grade them themselves. So I use, um, it's a somatic differential scale where the employee actually has to gauge where they fall um, on a certain responsibility or just overall cooperativeness or just being an exceptional employee. And the, the hygienists, the assistants, the office managers, they will all review themselves and the owner will also review the employee on the same document. And from there, you're actually taking the weight off of your shoulders and you're putting some of that onto the employee to rate themselves. And from there, you go through, you know, do you agree with this assessment? Do you disagree? And what are your suggestions for improvement? And it's all in writing on a review form. And having these documents, these review documents in place and in writing, it'll help you for a variety of reasons. So one, you can look at it on a positive. You can always look back on these past reviews with an employee so that you can celebrate, right? You can celebrate where they have come, where you guys were at the beginning and what they've improved on now. But you'll also be able to lean on these written review documentations um, in the event that you have to terminate an, an employee. Regulating and directing employees is difficult. It's never easy. And a lot of that depends on the systems that you have in place and the employee's attitude. Let's talk a little bit about employee's attitude. So there's not much that you can do about an employee's attitude other than address it, right? Never ignore it and always document your conversations precisely. And in the event that you do inherit an employee that is insubordinate, someone who 
undermines your authority or undermines the new policies that you have put into place, you'll want to have in writing the conversations, the written request to adjust their behavior prior to termination. And if you don't currently have a system in place for documenting your conversations or your corrections with an employee, it's really simple to implement. I find it's the most easy to use a three miss policy. So a three miss policy, it may you may have also heard it as like a three strikes and you're out policy. Um, I prefer the word miss as I feel that it better portrays the employee's miss of the mark uh, that you need them to meet. And I also just feel like it's not baseball, it's someone's career. So I personally prefer the three miss policy. And so let me walk you through how I would go about documenting a corrective conversation with an employee. So misstep number one would be uh, a verbal warning. So you would privately pull the employee aside and give them a correction. And you want to be very specific with your verbal warning. And so I'm just going to talk off the cuff here about how I might address that. So with an employee, I, would, I might say something along the lines of, on this day with this patient, um, this happened and our policy is this. And um, what I have asked from you in the past is this. I feel that in general, in front of other employees, this conversation may have may not be adequate enough for you. So I've chosen to pull you aside individually and address this. This cannot happen. This is what I need from you moving forward. If necessary, I will revisit this with you again in three weeks. And I hope that this will be able to be nipped in the bud today. So that's an idea of how you can organize a verbal warning so that it doesn't come off too hard. Again, I didn't use the words of verbal warning, but I used very direct words, right? This cannot happen. Be very specific with what this is. This is what you need to do with moving forward. Be very specific with what those responsibilities and tasks are or changes in behavior that you'll need from them. After you have addressed this concern with the employee one-on-one -on -one and and you delivered your correction, and you'll immediately want to take some time out to document the conversation that you just had with the employee. So what did you correct? What policy was it? did it go against? Were they insubordinate? And what did the employee accept to do moving forward? It's not necessary to have the employee sign your verbal warning. It's simply a documentation of your conversation that you can refer back to this date and this time. This is what happened and this is what we discussed. Now, step two, misstep number two, this is going to be a little bit more significant. Now we're going to bring the employee into the written documentation. So this is going to be a written warning, which is going to work similarly to the verbal warning, except now you're going to write down the problem specifically. You're going to write down the changes that you need to see in the employee or the tasks that you need to have completed and by what date, etc. Very specific. 
the employee will be able to uh, have written commentary on the document. They'll be able to <clears throat> agree to the public requests or even identify how they're going to accomplish that. Um, both parties will want to sign this written warning, this misstep number two warning. And, and from there, that goes into their employee file along with your documentation for misstep number one. And now you have a review form, you have misstep number one documentation, you got misstep number two documentation. And that brings us to misstep number three. This is often where I advise it to be the exit interview. At this point, if a patient has sat through a review and has heard what you need from them, they have had a verbal warning, they've had a written warning, and now you're meeting again for the same issue or a similar issue, this is where you're going to want to present your evidence. Bring out the review form. Bring out the misstep number one conversation and the misstep number two conversation and write out why you are addressing misstep number three and why this has led you to find that termination of the employee is the only step forward. I found in most cases that if for instance, if it's a hygienist and they really care professionally about their future, they'll typically take a step back and resign at this point um, as they will sense termination is coming. Um, but not always. And but this gives you that data to how you arrived at this decision. This isn't an emotional decision at this point. You've given this person several opportunities. And at the end of the day, you know, terminating an employee, it's tricky. Um, but it's especially tricky during the practice transition process. You're going to worry. You're going to worry about how it affects other staff members, the morale of the office, how it's going to affect patients. These are all things, though, that you can't control. And by having this system in place, it's a fair system. It's a system that gives them opportunity and chances. I hope that it'll help you feel confident that you have extended an olive branch and that you've given this employee a chance to get on board with your vision. And if they chose not to take your life raft, that's something that you have to set aside emotionally and accept, right? You've done, you, you did something fair and it didn't work for that employee and that's their decision. Now that we have covered how to evaluate your employees and how to redirect your employees and how to terminate your employees, I think it's important that I give you some tools to headhunt and to onboard new team members. Where do you find them, right? I think that oh, since the COVID-19 pandemic, it has been real difficult to find quality hygienists and quality dental assistants. Uh, I work with clients across the country. Um, specifically, currently, I have clients on the East Coast uh, in several states in the South and in the West. And it seems like every office that I've had to hire for is experiencing that everyone in their community is hiring and there seem to be zero qualified candidates that are applying. And it sucks. And even though, you know, it's not as easy as just casting a net out on Indeed or on Craigslist, um, there's still ways to find candidates. You just actually have to hunt for them now. It's not as easy as casting that net. Uh, so 
my number one suggestion that I have found has helped so much, especially I'm going to focus this conversation on the clinical department, specifically for finding dental assistants and hygienists is this, and that is to build a connection with your local dental assisting schools and your local hygiene schools. So as you know, schools have a built-in career services department, which is dedicated to finding their students a job after graduation. Even offering an opportunity for a dental assistant to extern at your office will be a benefit to you. It'll be an extra set of hands and sterilization or an extra body to see an emergency patient or flip a room when you're running behind. This is going to help the dental assisting school and it's also going to get extra hands in your practice, not to mention that then you could even train this extern to fit your practice precisely and in a few months have a fully licensed assistant once they graduate. And if you're seeking a hygienist, um, I recommend that you go where the hygienists are. And where are hygienists? Well, they are on Facebook. They are in dedicated dental hygiene groups on Facebook. They are also on Instagram using often the hashtag, hashtag RDH life. Um, reach out to them. Reach out to them on social media, on Facebook. Give them the pitch of a lifetime if they would come interview for your practice. What you'll find is, is that even if they aren't interested in a new position, they know of a hygienist that might be. Or they'll give you advice on maybe how they have heard of people getting connected with the right hygienist in the past. It's all about connection and it's all about community. And this is how you have to headhunt for those clinical team members when there is such a drought. And once you find a candidate, I see this happen all the time. So once you find a candidate, you have to act quickly. Don't wait to finish out your working interviews for the next week. If you meet someone, that will work for you, there are no red flags, they might be a good fit, offer them the position. Those future working interviews that you have on your schedule, they're no guarantee. They could take another job before then. They could no show on you. So don't sleep on an opportunity because you're worried about missing out on something better. Another thing that I see works really well, I've had a lot of luck with, is recycling candidates. So in the event that you have previously offered a position to someone and they maybe accepted another offer before yours or just they were going to pay them more, don't hesitate to reach back out to them in a couple weeks. A friendly check-in. Uh, so something along the lines of, let's see. So, hey, I know that you've chosen this other office over mine, but I just wanted to check in, see if you're doing well there, if, you know, no pressure to respond. If you are still looking for the right practice, I would love to consider you for the opening at my office. Don't let your pride stand in the way of reaching out to a great candidate, a good assistant, a good hygienist. They're looking for that right practice, that good fit. And it's it's just not unheard of for them to get it wrong based on a working interview. And in a working interview, you you know, you only get a small piece of the reality of what it's like working in that practice. So reach back out and recycle through past candidates and build bridges, create connections uh, because they're a part of your dental community as well. And 
again, if they don't know someone, they're going to think differently of you for taking the initiative to set your pride aside and reach back out to them. So let's also, before I wrap it up here, let's talk about writing ads for attracting a great candidate. Uh, first step of advice, be authentic and be attractive. Um, consider this a first date. Don't be the guy that shows up. What's that commercial where he shows up with like a stretched out V-neck? You want to put your best foot forward. So introduce yourself, your vision, your dental philosophy, a philosophy. Put it all out there. Um, you also don't want to beg, right? Have you seen those ads where they're offering um, like incentives, bonus incentives for, um, you know, candidates to apply. Listen, it doesn't work. Um, and you're also not attracting the right candidate. You don't want to attract someone who wants to stay on board for 90 days so they can collect a hiring bonus. You want someone who identifies with you. You also want to be very specific about what the job requires. How many hours? What days? Describe the person who would succeed in this position. And Describe maybe how this position could be rewarding for the right person. Don't, don't leave those details out because you're going to waste your time. You know, if you're hiring for a part-time, like it's not going to do you any good if people are looking for full-time and they're applying to your position. So definitely put the details out there. Um, finally, don't limit yourself by a pay range. Be competitive. Don't be afraid to pay more for a rock star. You have to attract them. You have to first be able to have a communication with them, to have a conversation with them about pay. Um, and maybe they are worth that. Maybe they can increase your productivity. If a dental assistant is able to pack cord or make flawless temporaries, adjust crowns, adjust dentures, they rarely need your assistance. This is an assistant that will directly increase your productivity and may be worth that pay. So don't discourage them from applying because your range is less than what they believe they are worth or what they are currently being paid. Create an attractive ad and give yourself the opportunity to negotiate with the right candidate. That is my advice for today. Um, and if you know me and have maybe worked with me before, or you follow me on social media, you know that I put a lot of emphasis on transparency and systems and communication. And it's because I have been there. I have been the employee. I've been the dental assistant and the treatment coordinator, uh, the hygiene coordinator, the office manager. I've, I've had to sit across from someone that I cared for as a person, as a friend and terminate their employment because of their behavior. And I have also, you know, been there in the trenches with my coworkers when we were just trying to get by when we're short staffed and we're all feeling overworked. And I genuinely know what matters to employees in dental practices. And I also know what matters to you as a new business owner going through a transition. So if there's anything I can do to help you, if, if I can be a sounding board of advice for you, I would love to be that. Additionally, if anyone is interested in receiving a copy of a job ad that I have used successfully, I'm happy to send those out to you. 
just send me an email. Let me know uh, that you would like help writing an ad for a position in your practice, whether it's a dental assistant or office manager or a hygienist. And I'll send over a few examples of ads that have worked well for me. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Tune in next time when I address employees head on how they can seize the unique opportunity and shine and grow in their positions and in their careers during a practice transition. Thank you.